Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Denardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. So, Chris, man, thank you so much for jumping on the show today, my man. Yeah, Josh, happy to be here. I uh, really admire your work. I've been following you for about six months now. Clearly, you have good taste. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think so. (laughs) So, Chris, you know, this is the thing that I, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about. You know, you are a CEO of a company. And as a CEO of a company, you've got one of those titles that salespeople will type into LinkedIn Sales Navigator and you'll be one of a lot of CEOs and they'll be like, I'm going to go outreach to a CEO. Uh, I have salespeople on here all the time giving advice on how to prospect CEOs and C-level people, but I thought it would be really interesting to actually talk to somebody who actually gets all of those messages to talk a little bit about what people are doing wrong, the mistakes they're making, and then more importantly, um, what they could be doing right. And you wrote a phenomenal post about this a few months ago that I'd love to unpack. Um, But I'd love to start, Chris, with like, what are some of the mistakes that you see reps making when they want to get your attention and and talk to you? Maybe because I'm in the LinkedIn environment so much, and, and I'm a marketer, I can reverse engineer what people are trying to do, right? And I'm not sure this place for every prospect, but over time, people are going to become accustomed to the different types of tactics that people are using in this medium, just like they have in email and other pieces. So um, the couple things you, I can easily tell when there's when the message was automated. Um, I can easily tell when. How so, do you know? How do you know? How do you know the message was automated? Because it's not contextual. I can tell that there's a, a personalization token at the beginning and Typically what happens is they'll send me a note to connect. And then right when I hit the connect button, I'll get another message from them. And so it's right, right away. Clearly that, that, that entire sequence was automated, which typically leads to me removing the connection immediately. So when you say it's not contextualized, I want to just unpack that a little bit, meaning that there's no context for the invite. It's just like, Hey, uh, want to connect with you. And there's no like reason behind it. So I'm just talking direct outreach right now. And so, um, just very, wide messaging that most often has nothing to do with my priorities, what I care about, sometimes in direct conflict with some of the things that I talk about on LinkedIn. Like for instance, um, my company doesn't do outbound selling. We don't, um, we don't do outbound selling. And so when somebody comes inbound to me and in my messages on LinkedIn and says, Hey, we're an outsourced SDR firm. Do you want to work with us? Um, <laughs> it shows me that they haven't done their homework at all. Right. And so, and, and it, it, it lowers your credibility as a person. You lose the, your connection with me, which I think is relatively important in a long-term play. If you're trying to be in that role for several years and you're able to build a relationship with people that have a good audience on LinkedIn, that pays dividends in a mid long term. And you've just completely ruined that with, with at least me. And I'm sure you're doing that over and over with a lot of people. 
Why do you think that happens? I mean, salespeople are not evil people. I don't think you mm-hmm. know inherently. But why, why do you think that is happening? If you had to take a guess, I have consistently been thinking about that we need to change the brand, the name, the trademark name, social selling to something different. Why I, is that? Because I, I believe that a lot of people have been trained to do it this way, to go through sales navigator, save a bunch of people, we, you know, look at that feed and leave a couple comments or interactions or whatever that, whatever they prescribe to do. And then outreach with no context about their product. And I think that's like the, the play that people have been taught to do. And as we, um, as we continue to develop this on social, what people are doing is basically just taking what they do in every other channel, which is how much volume can we get out of, you know, how much volume can we get in one day? How can we send a hundred emails and make a hundred calls? And now let's add a hundred LinkedIn messages. And in order to get to that scale, you either have to automate or copy paste or do things that have little value to the person on the receiving end. Let me ask you a question, you know, somewhat related. Like I, I completely understand that the message is completely irrelevant. You know, I'm, I'm selling a snowboarder to someone who just hates the snow. I'm selling <laughs> meat to a vegan. Like I, I get that, but are there other instances where it's not quote unquote personalized, mm-hmm. but that it's relevant in some way based on maybe some of your priorities. It's still, you know, sending to all CEOs that run companies like, yours Mm -hmm. and maybe they want to generate more leads using an inbound channel, but it's, it's not as quote unquote personalized as, as everyone's saying, but it's more like around a problem that you have. Mm -hmm. Is that still sort of going to get deleted as well? Or do those get through or talk to me a little bit about that? You know, this idea that we're, you know, selling based on personas and and perceived persona problems or challenges. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of a lot of variables inside of that question. Um, and I don't think there's a really direct way to answer it. Um, I, you know, I miss a lot of messages because I'm busy and, you know, I don't, I don't have time to read them or do whatever the person's asking me or they're too long and I just don't care to read them or or whatever. Um, and there are, there are like quite a few actually that, that get to break through. And so let's just go through this thing. Let's say somebody's sending me a message. Uh, I, they get the opportunity, you know, I, I open the message and start to read it and it has no relevance to me right now. Then I go through kind of like an if then statement in my head. And that's like, so, so let's, let's, let's unpack that specifically yeah. for you. So someone, someone writes something. And the first thing that you look at in the first sentence is the first question you ask yourself is, is there, is this relevant to me right now? Like it's essentially like, why should I care? Does this help me do something better? What are you looking for? Like, what are people writing that is not that? And what are you looking for? Like when you like just let's, let's talk about the first sentence. Cause it's pretty, it's pretty crucial. Yeah. Um, if, if you can't get past the first sentence, you're not going to get to the second sentence. I don't, I really don't think there's a formula to it. I think the best first sentence for, for me is one that is contextual to something that I've done on the platform in the past 48 hours. And so that could be, you know, saw this post had this 
had this to add to it or saw you were, you know, you're hiring this person. We do this X, Y, and Z for people looking to do this or, or saw your comment about this. I believe in it a lot. What I think those are the types of things that show me that you've done your homework. You've put in a lot of effort to make the connection with me and that ideally you have something valuable to add based on the stuff that you already know about me. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So it's not like a generic thing, like loved your post, by the way, we sell this. It sounds like it's a lot more crispy and a lot more specific around something specifically that you posted. And the way they're demonstrating that is that they're not talking in a very generic way. They're giving you some detail or what I like to call oomph behind it. And this could be something that you wrote uh, like a post or maybe something that you commented on. Um, Could it also be something that they picked up from your actual profile? Um, Maybe it's not something that you posted on that's so current, but maybe um, as Beck Holland refers to as a self-attributed trait, you know, something, a way in which you described yourself in your summary or things that you're into, initiatives that you're working on. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that. I think it's possible. Um, It hasn't, if I like kind of reflect on, on some of the mess, a lot of the messages that I've got, I mean, I would say for people that have reached out to me, they're probably winning at a 0.025% type thing, something in that range. I get a lot of messages. I don't respond to most of them. I, even if I do respond to it, it's usually like, thank you. And I think out of all the messages I've, I've received, I've gone to two meetings and somebody's closed me one deal. Wow. And, and all of those initial contact requests always start off. It sounds like with some type of post that you've written and they're referencing it. Something else that I think that you alluded to in your post is that they're also uh, sweetening the pot a little bit by perhaps engaging with that post that you wrote. Maybe they're leaving a comment or liking it. Does that play into things as well or not really? You know, I think people can, can use that insight and there's a couple of reasons why I think it would work. Right. So let's say I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell something to you, Josh, you're growing your business. I think you could use some marketing. I think I can help you. I've been following you for six months. I feel like before this podcast, we had never talked, but I feel like I know you pretty well just by engaging with you and hearing what you have to say. Um, I've left, you know, some thoughtful comments, probably at some point you saw that comment. So if I ever wanted to send you a direct message, my name would look relatively familiar. And then my message one, I'd look like somebody that you've seen before because I've commented on 10 of your posts and liked them. And if you read your comments and responded to them, you would, you would ideally under, you know, have, have a sense for my name. And when I actually went to message you, I have so much knowledge of what you're up to, what's important to you, how you act. I would have a better sense of how to communicate with you. It's like the difference between trying to go you know, you're at a bar and you can try and go up to a hundred girls and see which one wants to have a drink with you. Or you could be really strategic about, you know, understanding one of them. Poor, poor analogy, but you, you get, you get what I'm saying. And so, um, that's, I think, that's, I think what, what works for me. And I don't know if my behavior mirrors, everyone else. Yeah, really. The one thing that you said that I really like, and I want to make sure we unpack it a little bit further is to break through and to get someone's attention. When you comment 
on their post or even you like their post, there's a little interesting thing that happens, as you may or may not know, at the top of LinkedIn, there's this little area called notifications and it lights up and has a number. Um, and there's something about that little number that releases some dopamine rush um, in your blood. And it happens to me every time I post. That's one of the first things I look at in the morning. I'm like, that's my, where my, my eyeballs automatically go to is how many people like did, liked or commented on something. Mm-hmm. And that dopamine rush is real and you want more of that and you're going to go look at that first. And that usually is not very crowded because most people on LinkedIn will be passive. And so, you know, on any given day, they'll only be, you know, less than typically less than 25 of those things will light up and I'll read every single one of those. And certainly if you've done it more than once, I'm going to start to get to know your name. And so it's really important. Um, but there's also another kind of gotcha to it is that it can't be done just to do it as a mechanism to get attention. You actually have to have something thoughtful to say rather than just, that was awesome. So you have to actually be a little thoughtful in the comment. Have you ever seen people doing this like just to do it? And it's kind of fake, 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 fake commenting, fake, fake flattery. I call it. It's, it's (laughs) tough to understand whether somebody is just wants to agree or if they're trying to do it for a different reason, it's tough for me to, I mean, as many comments as I get, I'm not assessing each one, like that person trying to sell me something, this person is being genuine. Just all they had to say was, I agree. I don't look at those types of things, but what I can say is that there are probably 50 to a hundred people that leave meaningful comments on a high percentage of my posts meaningful, like they added value to what I was saying or presented a different way of looking at it that I hadn't seen before that would, that caught my attention. I know those 50 names. If any of those people reached out and said, Hey, we've been doing this, like, see what you're up to. Um, I was wondering if like I could get 15 minutes to pick your brain or 15 minutes to show you this thing. I think it could help you. I would say yes to a majority of those people because they've been putting in a lot of equity with me over the past six months. Yeah. Something else that you said that I think is really interesting, this idea of having a point of view. So it's also really effective to not have to agree with everything someone's saying. You don't have to also, you know, you have to flatter people to death. If you have a, a another point of view, when you do it in a respectful way, uh, that is going to elevate you as well, because people always like to be challenged. They always like to see other points of view. And that's going to make you stand out as well. When you have a strong point of view, um, you stand out in a sea of same, um, especially if it's, you know, goes against the status quo or what the, the common thinking is. So I love that. Okay. So, so people have, you know, liked and maybe they've done some comments and maybe they are now starting to reach out to you with the first sentence. And let's just kind of go through your post a little bit, because I thought you had also a really nice sort of arc to how this, to how this goes. Um, what happens next in terms of how people now start to go towards the ask? And you, you had some really great phraseology I want to unpack a little bit. What phraseology were you talking about? <laughs> you talk about in your post about when someone actually wants to ask you for a meeting. Sure. Uh, but, but they don't come out and say a meeting. Uh, you had some really interesting ways in which you phrased it. So to be honest, I don't remember exactly what the phrase was, but I do remember it. I do remember it hitting hard. So if you could help me, uh, help me understand that a little bit, I'd be, I'd be happy, more than happy to unpack it. All right. What I'm going to do. I, and I turn my phone on airplane mode because you asked me to, so I can't <laughs> reference it. <laughs> All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually pull this up because I think this is really, this was a really great, you know, insight. I'm going to, I'm going to pull this thing up, this post up here. Cause I think I did, I did save it here. Um, but like, so when, when someone, when someone reaches out to you, 
And they, they, um, you, you mentioned, you know, you get a few of those, you know, you get 20 or 30 comments mm-hmm. a day, you screenshot the comments and then you kind of start to say something like, um, let's see, hold on. Let me see. Where yeah, it's no, I, I, it's coming back to me now. So it's, it's, it, the first step is being direct, right? Like I get upwards somewhat, sometimes 30 to a hundred messages a day, depending on how my posts are doing. And so like, if I'm going to, if, if I even click open, and start reading it. And if it's more than a uh, paragraph or two, depending on how busy I am, it's not, I'm not going to read it. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's got to be short and direct. And the first sentence is contextual to something that you either know about me um, or something that I've done on the platform in the past couple days, which I think is great. Hey, I think the example was, Hey, Chris, see that you're having a lot of success using uh, Facebook ads for B2B. Did you know about blah, blah, blah company. We help make Facebook B2B Facebook ads better by using ABM like targeting. And that was so, exactly, that was, that was exactly the message. It yeah. was like, and I'll, and I'll read it back just so you guys get it. It's like, you know, so, you know, step one, you connect with Chris, but not using a can note, you use something contextual, something about a recent post that he did, you know, extra brownie points. If you, before reaching out to him, did some, some comments, uh, that are, that are thoughtful, maybe express your point of view. When you do then shoot off the connection request, you reference that post in a, in a specific way. And then with regards to the next sentence, and this is, this is reading it right off of Chris's post. It was like, Hey, Chris, um, it sounds like Facebook ads are working really well for you. Have you heard of company name? It brings account-based marketing like targeting to Facebook ads for B2B companies. Now that's the end of the sentence. One thing that struck me about that is it's not saying, can I have 15 minutes to learn more? Because it kind of begs the natural when you say, can I have 15, can I have 15 minutes? It's, it turns it into a little salesy. Whereas what I liked about what you hear did Chris here is it just, just kind of like leaves it there. And so if there's interest, like the natural thing is going to be like, Hey, that sounds like pretty cool. Like tell me more. So I really liked how you phrase that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the 15 minutes, I do agree with you come first off. I, I probably barely know you unless we've built a strong relationship. 15 minutes of my time is valuable. And so I would much rather get into a short dialogue on LinkedIn to make sure that it's a useful and productive use of both of our times to even have 15 minute conversation. I think that we need to get to a level where, where that amount of time on both ends, both on the sales professionals end and on the prospects end is a respected amount of 15 minutes is a respected amount of time. And so being able to exchange three to five messages back and forth, so we'll just play off of this example. So have you heard of this company? It brings account-based marketing like targeting to B2B companies. No, uh, my response, no, I haven't heard of that before. Um, could you shoot me a link or, or what exactly does it do? Or I, I, I would probably respond with another question, which then from a sales professional's point of view, now I'm driving the conversation, right? So. So I, I love this, you know, so I, I'd say 98% of the calls to action that I get in, in cold emails or on LinkedIn is exactly what you said, Chris, which is someone's asking for time. And as you said, when you don't know someone and you're not exactly sure what you're going to get out of it, 
it seems like a premature ask. It's almost like saying to someone that you've gone out with on the first date to like, can I meet your parents? Like, it's really just, it's really kind of weird. So let's talk a little bit about other ways that you can have a call to action to determine if there's interest. So the one that Chris did was really good. Um, here's a couple of other ideas. Like, uh, you know, does this sound interesting? Right. Here's another one. Would you be open to learning more? Here's another one. You know, Chris kind of alluded to this. Hey, you know, Chris, would a brief exchange via messenger make sense to see if a broader conversation would be interesting? How about this? Uh, you know, uh, this is one that I've used a lot. Um, you probably don't want to talk to a salesperson. I get it. Here's a two minute video so you can determine if a broader conversation makes sense. <laughs> like, like that's another that's another great one. You know, so here's another one, you know, uh, that I've used. Um, would it be okay? Since it seems like you're curious, if I sent you a three-minute video on how we can potentially help you blankety blank blank question mark. Hey, if I send you this uh, piece, would, would you be open to taking a look and let me know your thoughts? Like these are all much lower friction ways to be able to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, here's one. Here's here's one more. I'm happy to send you this free guide that tells you more. P.S. By by free guide, I mean a thinly veiled sales pitch, but still, you'll get some great new ideas. <laughs> a way to kind of just like own it, and, and you know, everyone knows you know you're here to sell. But these are, I mean, to Chris's point, this is a really great insight from this post that your calls to action don't always have to be 15 minutes. And to Chris's point, someone that's on the receiving end of this, it's actually to your detriment. When, when people ask for 15 minutes, it's, it's kind of a turnoff, I think is what you're saying, Chris. Mm -hmm. And the length of time, I don't think matters, right? Whether it's three minutes, five minutes, 15, an hour, it's, it's that, that you're asking for my time and I literally have never heard of you and didn't even respond. I haven't responded to your first message. We'd never engaged and all of a sudden I'm supposed to relinquish my time. Um, like I'm not, it could be from a CEO, but I think even like down down levels in an org chart, people would feel the same way. It's more of the feeling it emits from the prospect than, than the actual value of the time. Make a, you make a great point. And plus, you know, here's the other thing. Nothing can be accomplished in five minutes. I mean, if you're using WebEx, it takes 20 minutes just to get like logged <laughs> in. Like, so, so it's just like really 10 minutes of people like 10 minutes ago. Really? Dude, nothing can really material happen in 10 minutes anyway. And I think you make another great point, Chris. It's just how it feels when you ask someone for time or a meeting. Like nobody wants another meeting mm -hmm. on their calendar. I, I've you, gotten to the point now. Go ahead. Sorry, Chris. Do you know why, do you know why people ask for 10 minutes? I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm kind of just interpreting here. People ask for 10 minutes because it's an SDR who's just trying to ask you six questions to qualify you and pass you to someone else. It's built around their process, not the customer's buying process. Wow. Let's, let's just, that, that's pretty insightful, right? Because from a sales rep's perspective, and this is what I talk about all the time, we've been trained how to sell but we haven't been trained on how people buy. And this is a really, really great insight. You're hearing it now from the person on the other end. Hey, I know that's what you want. You need to ask me 10 minutes of questions so that you can pass me on to the AE, but I'm not really interested in being passed on to the AE and being qualified. It's <laughs> not really something that I really want to do. So, so we're, we're talking about other ways to do this, lower friction calls to action to see if there's interest. Here's another idea that I'd love to get your thoughts on, Chris, that I'm really big into. Um, I have to be able to provide you with what I'm going to call something new. 
that perhaps you haven't heard about yet that can help you specifically kick more ass at something that you're interested in. Now, this can't be, this is, this is different than a value proposition. This is a new idea, a new perspective, a new point of view, because I think generally speaking, people don't like to stand still. It's not that Chris has a problem. He's, his business is doing fine, but he's, if he's like most people, not just CEOs, but most people in general, he doesn't want to stand still. And he's probably always open to new ideas and new perspectives that can help him kick more ass. So Chris, I'd love for you to jam on that a little bit and, and talk a little bit about that idea. And if you've ever received any outreaches or ha- ever had any experiences with people reaching out to you with new ideas that you thought were interesting, made your ears perk up. Well, yeah, absolutely. Not um, actually not recently. Um, I think because I'm very right now, very focused and have a clear path of where we need to go over the next six months. And to be honest, I'm in the I'm in the world where most of the tools now I have a pretty good understanding of. Right. Like nothing's popping out of nowhere that I never saw before. Um, And a lot of the tools that I use today I actually used because it was recommended from me from someone that I trust. Right. So like that's how I get initial awareness of most products right now. Um, but if I look back a couple of years when I was more in a function like director of marketing or head of marketing at a, at a company that people got my, people got my attention in interesting ways. Um, I, I can think back of one example where the, the CTA was, a, was an event. What kind okay. of an event? Wouldn't you say an event? Uh, it was, so it was an ABM company. I had, I understood globally what account-based marketing was and they were doing a, uh, roadshow quote unquote, where they were having a lunch and learn at a really nice restaurant in Boston. Um, and and so I, the outreach came in, I took, took the invite, went to the lunch and learn. It didn't turn out into a sale, um, mainly because my requirements didn't match what the product had to offer. Um, but it was, it was effective. So I really love this. So there's two things you said that I think are really, really interesting. Um, let's actually talk about the first thing first that you said, which is, Hey guys, sometimes when you reach out to people, their nose is down, their head is down, they have a clear path and they're, and the timing is bad, right? And so this idea that having intent, that it's okay if the person is not really wanting to engage right now, that not everyone is ready for your new thing and to be okay with that and move on and not be assumptive is really key. We can keep hounding people and then ruin it for ourselves when and if they are ready to kind of pick their head up and see what else is new. So that's that's key insight number one is to be indifferent to the outcome. I know you, anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a while hears me talk about it, but you heard it again right here, which is, hey, sometimes person's just like not all buyers are liars. If Chris says to you, Hey man, I'm just not open to anything right now. I'm just kind of heads down. Like that could be, that's a truth. And you just kind of move on and go on with your life. The world's a big place. Um, key insight number two that I think, you know, Chris just said, which is really interesting. This gets back to some stuff that Chet Holmes read about in the ultimate sales machine, which is uh, one of my favorite books, which is most of the time when you reach out to people, they are not in active buy mode. If they were, they'd be 
contacting you. So what can you offer them? Well, people are always usually open to new ideas and perspectives and, and learning things. So what can you do from a reach out perspective instead of a demo, but to offer something educational? You know, chefs do this really well. You'll see Mario Batali on a cooking show and he's giving away his recipes for free. And then when you walk into the store and you see his cookware, you have more of an affinity toward it because he's the one that taught you it. And so this idea of a lunch and learn, maybe you don't have to do a lunch and learn. Maybe you could do, you know, share some information on some slides. Maybe you can do a Zoom session or maybe you can use Instacart and send some pizza um, over to Chris's desk and talk about X, Y, and Z, but have a point of view and don't turn it into a demo. This is not a discovery call. This is a 15 minute thing where we're going to educate you on some trends in the market, some opportunities other people like you are having, some things that you might not realize that you didn't know. It's going to take a little work for you to formulate that. And there has to be some substance behind it. But I love that idea of Chris from, from an outreach perspective to offer some education um, that. That's super smart. Absolutely. I'll tell you one. Um, I think one that would at least get my attention. There are not that many really great content decks that go out. And I see a couple every once in a while in my feed that really resonate with me. What's a content deck for? I, I don't know what that is. What, what is it when you I say mean, content? A, deck? A, a PowerPoint deck. A PowerPoint okay. deck. Someone presented at a conference. I saw, I saw one in my feed maybe like a week ago that was like, wow, this thing this thing was really well done. Why and do you say that? What, what was it about it that was well done? It presented a lot of ideas that I agree with, but in a much more clear and compelling way. Um, a person, the person that presented the deck could be conceived as one of my competitors, but I live in a world of abundance, so I don't think about them as competitors. And so, um, but could be conceived, perceived as one of my competitors and presented like really, really strong um a really strong reason to invest in marketing if you're a B2B tech startup, a 46 slide deck. And I loved it. Uh, and I saw it in my feed. This was a deck, just to make sure I understand, and everyone listening, when you say a deck in your feed, this was like a PDF embedded in your feed and you, you flip through it. Meaning. Yeah, you can see those in your, in, in the, you know what I mean? The slides are yep. embedded. You can, sure. you can flip through them. Um, yeah. And if somebody found, like if knew me well enough and found that deck and put it in my inbox, and, and, and was able to get over the friction of getting me to actually open it, then they would have made a significant impression on, with me. And so that's it's not that it's not that it was this is this is where guys it's not that it's a slideshow it's not that it's a video those are all delivery mechanisms I think Chris what you're saying and and please jump in here it wasn't wasn't that it was just like it stood out because it was a slide deck in the in the view in the feed it was the actual substance of the actual deck right it was one hundred percent it was it was very very well done content that you don't see every day and whether you're the author of it or or you're sharing it with me and you're not the author, whether it has something to do with the product that you sell or has absolutely nothing to do with the product you sell, you sell. If you recognize that it's important to me and you find an opening to add value for me, that's a way to start to build a relationship that can eventually turn into something that you want to have happen. I, I mean, this, I think has, this is, this could be a whole other podcast, but this is a really interesting concept that you're bringing up because I'd say 98, actually I'd say almost all I've never seen any outreach done that is not pushing for a demo. 
ever. I've, ne- I just not, I've never seen it. Obviously, we see that on the inbound side quite a bit, but I'm wondering as you're talking, Chris, like, is there an opportunity for outbound people to be promoting inbound-like content? Um, and if I'm an SDR, well, geez, but I got to book a meeting. Um, perhaps there's a way to do it where you, and I'm just going to brainstorm with you here, Chris, uh, where you, you kind of give some of it and you're like, hey, do you want to learn more? Or you kind of share a point of view or uh, what are your thoughts there about how to use, how to kind of lead with education, I think is what you're saying and insights. We're going to, we're going to need to have another podcast about this, Josh, because I, <laughs> I have one really, really interesting insight at one of the companies that I worked at relatively recently, our best performing channel from a lead to revenue perspective was outbound to inbound. What does that mean? What does that mean? The first touch is outbound. Maybe there's three touches outbound, but eventually what happens is the person comes inbound and fills out a form. Because if you change your approach to how you're doing outbound, and instead of asking for a meeting, you deliver value and build credibility what does that mean? Because people say this all the time, and I just want to press you a little bit on it. When you say yeah. outbound, inbound, I deliver value, build credibility, so buzz. What the fuck is? Well, like, what exactly is that? Like yeah. specifically, give us like an example. So, I'm trying to scale my company right now, and so, um, and I haven't run into hiring challenges, but a lot of people could perceive that I would at some point. Probably around six to ten people would become more challenging for me to hire the right people. And so if somebody was able to, to perceive that and they didn't need to sell something tomorrow and they recognized that my company was growing at a fast rate and that probably around, you know, Q1 of next year, I'm going to be at the point where I probably have run into this challenge that they might share something with me about an example of a company and the struggles they went through from going from five people to 10 people and what they did to overcome that. So this would be done via outbound, but the outbound wouldn't be, Hey, we solve these problems. The outbound would be sharing this content, sharing content on a consistent basis. Mm. And then, and then allowing the prospect to take the step which is a very weird way of thinking about it because I think a lot, I mean, all the metrics in outbound are driven on meetings. That's or, right. Or acti- meetings slash meeting, activity. Not just meetings, but meetings like this week. <laughs> yeah. Meetings, this meetings this week and activity and some combination of that. And so it would require significant overhaul of the metrics that you score. But I'm positive if you looked at your outbound channel, that you would get better revenue results. The problem is that most people are only scored on the meeting, not the effectiveness, quality, and outcome of that meeting. Well, I could I could attest to that um, for my business. That's how all my businesses come in. I mean, I do I do some outbound, but all of the revenue that I've generated has come in from people have read, you know, mostly my posts or seen the webinar, and eventually they 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 come in and they go to my website and they book a meeting. Um, and, and the story is always the same. It's not like I just saw you. It's like, Hey, I've been seeing your stuff for like four months and now we've got this thing that we're bumping into and we'd like to help. And you were the first one we thought of. Same you know, for me, man. Exact same, exact same for me. And I ask the question when, when they come in, cause it's usually through LinkedIn message. And the question, the question I ask is the first, the first thing they say is I saw your video and, <laughs> and then, and then my follow-up question is 
how many of my posts did you need to see before you felt comfortable messaging me? And the answer to that question is somewhere between 20 and 50. And so the idea that in one touch, we're going to get someone to commit to a meeting and eventually buy something is, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a challenge for me to get over. Um, and when the person that saw 50 of my videos comes inbound to me, they close in five days, not 500. You know what I mean? You know, you're bringing up another phenomenal point. You know, although you may be able to book a meeting on outbound and a lot of people do, I mean, I work with a lot of outbound teams. Uh, we also see a, a pretty big drop off in show rate. So, let, you know, not all those people are going to actually show up because they were maybe pressured into taking the meeting and they, they just said yes to get off the phone. So assume there's a 30% drop off rate. The bigger problem is exactly what Chris is talking about here, which is when they take the meeting, they're not in buy mode. So what ends up happening is nothing um, and it's awkward. And then you end up following up in a weird way saying, Hey, do you want to buy now? Do you want to buy now? Do you want to buy now? There is no follow-up content strategy that most companies that I work with have. Uh, meaning, you know, if the person's not interested now, uh, can you send them things that are going to make them smarter about a topic? You know, by way of example, the barbecue guys do this really well. I was uh, looking for a grill a long time ago and I, I really wasn't, uh, you know, ready to buy one for various reasons. And they kept sending me, I kept seeing stuff like how to be a master griller, how to make potatoes, how to make steak, how to make fish. Like the barbecue guys knew they're not in the barbecue business. They're in the help you become a better master griller business. And sure enough, when the, when the grill finally reached the point where I had to buy a new one, the struggle was high. I couldn't light it. And my wife wanted to have a party for 12 people and only one side worked. I mean, the barbecue guys were the, pretty much the only people I thought of. I didn't even price shop. Like I just called the barbecue guys and like, dude, I want to grill. Mm -hmm. And this is like an $800, $800 purchase, not a, you know, not a cheap, cheap purchase. Um, I, but I think to your point, the challenge is, is that outbound teams don't work that way. And so when we're kind of getting into this content, I'm wondering if there's opportunities and I'm brainstorming with you is, is the opportunity to meet, like to me to just, you know, walk you through these insights in like some type of a screen share um, or, you know, and then after that, you know, see where it goes, because I know there's this attitude of we, we have to get a meeting. So we can't just send the video. Like, I think that's going to really be really shake things up. But I'm just as I'm brainstorming with you, Chris, I wonder if there's an opportunity to when you call someone, when you do outreach to offer like almost like a little mini webinar of sorts, mm -hmm. like we're going to do this thing. It's, it's just for you. It's going to be, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm brainstorming with you. Would you bite on that? Or is, is that still weird? I don't if, know. If, if it was real, if it was relevant and valuable to what I had in my near line of yeah. sight, yeah. and yeah. it was something that I was actively trying to solve. And ideally if it wasn't that related to the product that you sell, because I can kind of see through that. Um, yeah then I think it can, I think it can work. Um, Interesting. And, and I, th I think that you have your, your marketing channels going on, but the way that people, I mean, we've talked about this a lot during this conversation that people, a lot of people aren't in buy mode. And so just being able to be, to recognize that, be aware and adjust your approach, um, I think is a, a huge opportunity. I think that that's a, it's a great insight and hopefully something that everyone uh, can start thinking about. Now, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, please do not use all this stuff and start sending Chris 60,000 webinar requests. <laughs> please just reserve yourself. Chris is busy doing stuff. Chris, you have been amazing. You've said it all, my friend. Great insights. <laughs> 
Really great to join you, Josh. Now, if people want to learn more about what you do, what do you do? Maybe there's some people listening like, that Chris is a pretty smart guy. Like, can he help me do something better? Chris, sure. how, do you make, how do you make people happier and who do you make happier? So we work with uh, B2B companies, typically less than 50 million that are growing fast and are looking to grow faster. And so we offer a suite of services from um, different types of growth marketing, content marketing, paid social amplification, and then this layer of revenue operations that looks at the efficiency of your revenue cycle from an inbound, outbound sales process and success onboarding time to value perspective that's able to find gaps using the best practices that we see at all the companies that we work with and accelerate revenue growth faster than it is right now. So you're saying you make cold calls for people? Is that was that kind of what? <laughs> that is not. That is not quite what we do. Actually, our objective, <laughs> if we're going to go into it, is to help companies cold call less because we're able to develop other streams of leads, which then empower them to have their SDRs and AEs do more value added work for their customers. That is how we want to end the call because that is a strong statement. I don't know if anybody really likes the whole cold calling thing and if we can get a steady stream of people. And I think to your point, Chris, the bigger the bigger advantage here is that when those people come in, they're going to be towards the end of the buying journey rather than the beginning. And, and just as another you know, related note to this, I just got to, got to mention it. It is kind of strange, right? Like if you walk into an Apple store and your computer is making a lot of noises and you have a big presentation the next day, the last thing you want the Apple representative to do is to start to tell you about all the features of the new Macs. <laughs> you want him or her to say, how do I, what do you need from me? And I'm going to say, just get my stuff off this thing before I lose my data and just have them move it over on time machine and just let me buy the computer, right? That's inbound. But wouldn't it be weird if you approach people at the very beginning of their journey when they weren't even looking for a laptop saying, let me help you move the stuff off your laptop. That's essentially what a lot of people are doing with outbound. And I think what Chris is, is saying here is there's perhaps a, a different way, a way to lead with education so that when people are ready, uh, they will contact you. And I think Chris, this is how you and I are talking. I mean, I don't think we would have ever had this conversation and, and I'm not a buyer right now. I'm not big enough, but as my company grows, this, you, know, you and I are a great example. I mean, as my company grows and I need a service like this, Chris is the only one I'm going to call. Like, I'm not going to go shopping for stuff. I've looked at Chris's posts. He has elevated his brand to the top. I, I, I read a bunch of stuff on LinkedIn. I, I very rarely, I can count on one hand, the amount of people that I've said, Hey, can I talk to you on the podcast? He's broken through because it's good content. And then when I'm ready for his service, I'm just, just going to, I'm going to call Chris. Here's the other benefit. If someone says to me, do you know anybody that does this inbound thing really well? I'm going to like, you know, I've never worked with him, but I've certainly talked to this guy, Chris, you should check him out. And because people trust me, they're going to go check Chris out. So I think that's another, another benefit, Chris. That was Incredibly flattering. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the words. That was, uh, that was really nice of you. And, um, <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again. Chris, thanks again for joining, man. Really appreciate your time. Re really good to join you, Josh. Thanks again.